Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. I'm Ryan. And you have uh, you have tuned in this week to the winter cold edition. Um, both Ryan and I have had some illnesses, but we are we are here for you. We are strong, strong like bull. And uh, yeah, we're and we're here to we're ready to talk some more movies. How are you doing, Ryan? How are you hanging in there? No, good. As long as I don't move around too much. Woo! Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, l- luckily, this isn't um, uh, normally. Normally, it's not an action-packed podcast like where, you know, we're doing stunts. This isn't the stunt spectacular podcast. That one comes later, where uh, where we do um, do our own uh, leaping from buildings and stuff um but yeah well welcome so we are gonna you know we, we we're coming up to it we have uh we've been doing this massive recap of movies from last year and um and because of covid and the pandemic and the the shutdown and everything sneaking in a few movies that from 2021 and 2020 and stuff that just took a little while to get to but um this massive list keeps on a going yeah. And uh, I don't know yeah. what order you'll actually be listening to these, but this is the in the order that we're recording them. It's the penultimate one. It probably right. will be the last one that you guys listen to. Um, so we've been numbering them or whatever, but oh, oh, we can still do that. Just know that, yep. you, that they probably get aired out of order because um, because and then we got to start. But the, the good news is that the, we have a. It's not really an award show preview because we've missed most of the award shows now. But since they do the Academy Awards all the way in June now, we're able to actually um, talk about those. They're actually in yeah. March, but they're a full month and a week past what they used to be pretty much. And yeah, used to be this uh, little February winter delight. And now it's uh, a dumb March slog. Um, but, yeah. but it it is it was convenient. It's convenient when you you're only you're not really going to the theater. You're only streaming stuff, and yeah, it it'd be the first one since I was a young man where I was in any way prepared to talk about the show before. And of course, yeah. if we do that show, we'll want you to have heard that with a week or two to go. So we'll probably yeah. air that out of order, even though that'll be the last one since still working down that big list. Right, and I, um, and the, the most exciting thing about it is, as that list gets longer, 
it means the less I'll have to talk about Bardo because I don't know what that even was. <laughs> and I don't know how to explain it or even really have an opinion about it. Except, yep. okay, yeah. those three hours happened. So I'm <laughs> sure I have physical evidence of it. No go. Oh, remember how we uh, remember how Ryan and I usually say that we like uh, we like almost we like pretty much everything Inaratu uh, does, and all of his movies are so spectacular and great. But this is uh, this is another one of his movies, and then we move <clears> on, <throat> and then we. <laughs> It'll be short, um, which is nice. Yep. Um, yep. There's just a little preview of that show that you probably <laughs> already heard. This isn't very useful, is it? Sorry. <laughs> true <laughs> uh all right well let's <laughs> let's jump right into it uh with um part whatever this is of <laughs> the year in review 2022 and a few movies from 2021 and 2020 <laughs> uh <laughs> all right uh first oh i gotta do for this first movie for the um uh for the two people who uh watch uh watch the video feed and those two people are probably the two that are on this podcast i put i have to do this for our first movie um <laughs> and that is uh and that of course is death um then i had to look because i was afraid i was gonna like say the wrong uh egg the christy one it is death on the nile uh Hercule Poirot is back uh, and this time he's put on a boat um, with a cavalcade of mystery stars. And this is a category, huh? You, you know, yes, this is. Oh, so, yeah. So we are doing. Uh, yeah, we are doing whodunits. These are kind of comedic whodunits. They have some they have some whimsy to them. I got I'm not going to lie, Ryan. When I say whimsy with this mustache filter, I kind of it kind of it works. Whimsy. That's nice. It's a good look for yeah. you. You'd fit right <laughs> into any of these movies. Um, these, I think, because of Knives Out, I expect, uh, kind of film which had been gone, just not just rare, but absolutely gone for decades out of the, the um, public sphere. It came roaring back with sort of mixed results, but the one surefire one that they had that was made way before Branna even made Belfast, so it's just been sitting on the shelf yeah. for a long time for any number of reasons. There's so many why that this film didn't get released, but I guess the big ones, like anything, it's not that scandalous. It's just COVID. Yep. Um. You know, it was a big, expensive production that they just wanted to make some theatrical dough on. And like the first film, not quite as big a hit as that, Murder on the Orient Express, but Death on the Nile is uh, less, it's a more conventional um, mystery. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it, but mm -hmm. you'd have to spoil what Murder on Express actually ends well, up being. Yeah. In I mean, the end. But it, <clears throat> Death on the Nile it's is Agatha is, Christie. Yeah, but it that's I mean, it's Agatha Christie. If it was just that, I wouldn't have shown up for it because I think Agatha Christie's a racist old bag, and I'm not. I don't like her at all, and don't even want to support her. <laughs> but um, but what she was really, really clever at with that year's, you know, Kenneth Branagh's remake of Murder and 
and especially that that uh, live action version of Crooked House, which Crooked House's ending's a humdinger. You know, she really was the first mystery writer to do some of this stuff, and you can only do it first. And they were some audacious solutions, and they gobsmacked people, and that's why people loved reading her stories and stuff. So, and they're still good. They still, if you don't know what's happening, and I've seen Death on the Nile at least twice, other two other times. And I still, it's so complicated that I couldn't remember exactly how it went down. I had, I, I, my suspects, my list of suspects were truer than some because I'd seen it. But I don't know if you've seen a yeah. lot of these, maybe you can see it coming. But it's, it's a, it's a more conventional mystery. It doesn't have a crazy what, uh, wrap up to it, and that's yeah. a spoiler, I suppose. But I mean, in a way, it's more satisfying, and and the. Just like Orient Express, the use of the exotic locales and um uh, on the on the, on the Egyptian Nile, you know, on this boat trip that they're all kind of sequestered on, it's it's lovely. It's a beautiful movie, beautiful costumes, all that stuff, um, and really, you know, cast again. Again, not as the all-star cast as Orient Express, but still really, really effectively use of casting and 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 people playing, leaning into the way they're cast to type in Hollywood, and a couple people leaning away, and that keeps you on your toes. And it was a really pleasant film, and I was happy and surprised, and I'm not to hear that they were going to make a third of these Hercule. Poirot films. Oh, Poirot! Yeah, and but I was I was surprised to find myself happy to hear that. Like they really are, <laughs> they are really well done. They're lavish in sort of a, you know, they're they're not of today at all. But they give older aging actors some fun things to do, and they give they give um, young people like chance to look super cool and turn of the century clothing yeah you know, what's not to like about that it's all it's all pretty cool so i don't know i don't want to I mean, give it too much effusive praise because the story's been a lot well, around for a while but yeah i mean it's fun and that's sort of what um you know agatha christie stories are it's it's you know especially death in the nile and murder on the orient express and so it's not even so much at this point with Agatha Christie's stories, because she's so uh, widely read, um, it, it isn't so much what the mystery, maybe, maybe what it isn't so much what the mystery is, but it's, uh, it's the journey of how you, how you get there and how, how the mystery is laid out for you. Um, it's a, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't know that I'm being completely clear no, it's on, mystery on that, writing it's, for mystery readers, mm-hmm. it, it, it's mm-hmm. the archetype of that, and that is exactly what it is. I mean, she's got a lot of things going for her in her writing. Her characters are very vivid, they're very easy mm-hmm. to keep track of, even when you just are introduced to them all at once, and even when there's a you know 18 to 25 new ones per story or whatever, like that's yeah. hard to do, and she does a really good job. And the other thing is the way the mystery is mapped out for you, and the way you're it it's not it's not like today's mysteries or today's TV shows where you're where you know it's like a magic trick where it keeps you looking the wrong way the whole time. 
it right. she shows you the way the whole story and when when uh when a solution is revealed it it you can trace it you can retrace your steps all the way back and see that you've been played fairly with the whole time that's that was mystery writing in general in agatha's era um but that's a bit of a lost art that frankly yeah. that knives out brought back to you know really exciting reviews and people having a lot mm-hmm. of fun with it and as a result uh, we get these and this was a good one partly because this is the least probably the least comedic about it i mean that'll be subjective sure. but this is it's got plenty of humor in it but this is more this is very straightforward branup honors the source material he doesn't get funky he doesn't comment on it he doesn't do anything bravely in the film right. of any kind except that except just stick with that faith that this thing's worked for ages and it'll continue to work if we do it right and right. and that and and it does <clears throat> So that's that one. Yeah, I was just looking here. Uh, a haunting in Venice. That is the next uh, next one. I fun Venice. Which, Venice in widescreen on film with his big broad color filters and his giant camera moves. That's gonna yeah, be it, fun. It, it's gonna be gorgeous, and yeah. you know, and also, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, not that I have an encyclopedic knowledge of Agatha Christie, but um, I. I don't know. Oh, so this Halloween party is the Agatha Christie story. So this isn't one of, to me, this isn't one of the more well-known. No, uh, which Agatha will also Christie's. be me. So, That'll have to. Yeah. Because Orient, Death on the Nile is the obvious follow-up to Orient Express. Right, right. Um, because they're, they share a lot of similarities. And I can see why they're going with, quote, haunting in mm-hmm. Venice. It's that's great. That'll be great. I mean, I genuinely look forward to that. That they're yeah. these are really, really well done, and they're eye candy, and they're they have these fun, broad, heightened performances that are very theatrical and very, and yet, and yet, there's a lot. You just right. very wisely, there's a lot. Like think of if you've seen Orient Express, think of Michelle Pfeiffer at Orient Express. You know that yeah. lady. We've seen her be very in the past, and she she finds the sort of tortured soul of her and that gives the thing extra weight and death on the Nile functions very much the same way and yep. for the same reasons. And it's, it's good. You know, uh, you know what era also has some uh, gorgeous clothing in it, it is fifties uh, London. Um, yeah. Yeah. And can't um, argue with you there. Our, yeah. Our next movie comes, uh comes in that period. And that is see how they run with, uh, also has um, Agatha Christie cameo at the end of it. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. I, this one I didn't get to. but this See one how they last, run so. would seem, it's hard to say, but it would seem like it has contempt for Agatha Christie-like conventions because it thwarts hmm. them at every attempt. But it still follows the same sort of roadmap. This one, unlike Death of the Nile, which is pointless, but this one we'll read a synopsis for. How about? Right. Right. In the West End of 1950s London, plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt after a pivotal member of the crew is murdered. Um, I didn't expect to like this. With the Agatha Christie-esque title and the, the trailer playing just really irreverent, with this sort of mm-hmm. storytelling, I was like, uh, this is going to be 
loud and obnoxious <laughs> and I'm going to be exhausting by this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, so I was surprised there's, I mean, it is kind of loud and, and noisy and kind of spazzy and exhausting, but I think in a, in a good way, it's got a lot of surprises in it. Um, the, our hero, I can't remember his name, but he's a really excellent actor and, and, and he's, you know, he's in a tight spot and he's got a, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's almost Hitchcockian in that, although it's way goofier than anything I've seen Hitchcock do. It, yeah, it, it's, it's almost Hitchcockian in that the, the, the innocent guy is about to get caught for something he didn't do over and over and over again. And he's got to think his way out of it or there's tons of suspense in that. That's a really fun engine to drive a film with. Sure. And then the other person worth mentioning that really shines in it is is Sir Ronan plays this like apprentice police officer. Yeah. Who's, <laughs> I, I love her name, Constable Stalker. Yeah, she's exactly. She's um she's fun in this kind of thing. If you've seen like uh, Grand Budapest Hotel or whatever, like she really gets it. And yeah. And um and this character, I don't know, this character's like like you'd expect. It's like a uh um, she's brilliant, and yet the film makes sure that she's really, really stupid in a bunch of key ways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that, and 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 Cersei's so good at pretty much everything that she just figures that out and makes that come to life on screen in a great way. Um, so I see how they run. I can actually, I mean, there weren't many of these that I hated. They're one of the most hated movies of the years on this list, and I thought it was pretty good too. So I'm not really going to be bashing many of these. It's more like, can we separate them and let you know which ones are good to watch? And it's it's hard because right. they all have quite a bit of period production value, star power. Depending on who your favorite performances are, they all have. Yeah. They all look fantastic. Um, so it's really, does the mystery satisfy this one less so than most, but this one's not so much about that. It's about the, it's the wrongfully accused or are they, it's that wrongfully accused tension, um, that we talked about in our old Hitchcock episode with, um, Rob, it, it's, you know, he, if he hasn't seen this, he would love it because that's, that's just just fun, old fashioned way of, And fun and fun little teaser. We have more Hitchcock coming up down the pike. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, no. So yeah, I mean, y- y- you you bring up a good point. You look at this list of of, of the movies that we're going to be talking about in this category, and and we'll we'll get to the others. Uh, um, I, I'm not spoiling anything by just saying their titles: Amsterdam, Confess, Fletch, and Glass Onion. It really is like Death on the Nile is gorgeous people in gorgeous costumes doing gorgeous right. things. See how they run is like the quirky. It's like I kind of want to make a Wes Anderson version of an Agatha Christie. Yeah, story very and much. Um, it's not yeah, anywhere like, near no genius i know I, as Wes it, anderson but it it's it it might appeal to some of the same folks I yeah would think. it's it's quirky and then you know and then amsterdam it's it's uh i again i missed <coughs> this one but it feels a little bit more like period grit you know a little grittier uh maybe um okay well uh but then then we get into like some you know modern takes on the mystery with uh Fletch and glass onion, but let's let's go ahead and talk about Amsterdam. Um, 
Yeah, 1930s, three friends witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. This is uh, three friends David are, O. Russell. David yeah, o. David O. Russell, right? three friends are John David Robinson, uh, Christian Bale, uh, Washington, and Mar- Washington, of course, yeah. and Margot Ro- Robbie. Um, so big, and more than that, what's-his-face is in this. Yeah, we have uh, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Michael Shannon, um, Timothy Oliphant, Taylor Swift, Zoe Saldana, Rami Malek, De Niro. I mean, yeah, literally. Rami Malek's really funny in this movie. Um, yeah. Mike be, Myers be, is even in it. Yeah. Mike Myers is really funny. About time. Mike Myers showed up and acted in something. <laughs> it's good for you, dude. <laughs> yep. It's about time. I mean, when, how long's it been? Just 80s? Well, <clears throat> he did have a Netflix series called The Pentaveret, where he plays uh, um, a, f- a few roles, but a, like a Canadian old time, like a, a Canadian newscaster <coughs> who uh, uncovers a, uh, you know, Illuminati like conspiracy. That sounds fun, actually. I mean, I'm it, not ripping it, on Mike Myers. I'm just saying it, it's between, you know, the first Wayne's World movie and. And um, Love Guru, you just, he was this guy who was <laughs> a comedic superstar. Right. Who was, other than a little bit, and so I had Mary and Axe Murder, doing very little acting. It was sketch humor painted super, super broad. And mm. there's nothing wrong with that if it if it's sells popcorn and gets people in the seats, which it did. Um, it's fun to see him. A, he's part of a comedic team in this movie. I can't remember who he's paired up with, the other cop, but they're very funny. And, but it's subtle. The problem with Amsterdam. Uh, yeah, wow. Huh? I'm just, I'm just looking at, I mean, he, he, you know, he has a little part in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Uh, and he's in term, has a part in, a little part in Terminal. But then it, it is, it's weird. It's just like Shrek. Shrek, Shrek, <laughs> Shrek. Keep that Shrek money Inglorious coming in, Bastards. baby. And then Love Guru. And then we, you know, start to see. Love Guru is uh, where his vanity projects ended. And Love Guru is mm-hmm. not even all that bad. It's got some heart. But it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's funny when you can pinpoint somebody's fall from <laughs> fandom yeah, quite weird. that way. But anyway, yeah. this movie really has very little to do with Mike Myers, so I shouldn't really talk like it does. Um, anyway. Yeah, and it's a to, loaded, to it's a totally loaded card trick of a film that's hard to discuss in general. So um, Joel just read the synopsis, which is very vague, which is probably appropriate. The The funny thing about um, Amsterdam is that Amsterdam. It's, it truly is based on a true story. Oh, and okay. the true story, when you learn about it, the movie doesn't follow it exactly, but it follows all the craziest parts of it and all the craziest parts of Amsterdam are, did happen. And I found that really enjoyable. But like I said, I, David O. Russell, what were all the headlines that said when this came out, why do people keep working with David O. Russell? You know, David O. Russell hasn't been like an evil tyrant for a decade and change. (laughs) Like since he screamed at Lily Tomlin or whatever, the worst Mm -hmm. thing you could get anyone to say about him was, was that Amy Adams had to be given like a little safe room while they were making American hustle. So she could like listen to show tunes and calm down. Um, that's, that's has a sadness to it. I have to say, 
but but it but that's not evil or anything. That's not we don't cancel people over stuff like that. You know, Amy Adams got a Oscar nomination working with him, and so she worked with him again. And by the time she worked with him again, uh, Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence basically had this crazy, insane shorthand with Russell. And so being around the three of them apparently is is like it can be crazy for an outsider. Um, and, and I think that some of that's what was going on, but I liked American hustle a lot. I really liked the fighter silver linings playbooks, probably my favorite romantic comedy of all time, I would say. So I, <laughs> I've loved the sort of movies he's been making cause they've been grounded in unlike something like I heart Huckabees, which is obnoxious or three Kings, which everybody adores, but is you can feel the dark evil in that film when you watch it. Um, and you can feel it like the whole thing going off the rails at any second. That's the film where at the end of making it, George Clooney of all people had to punch him had to punch a Russell out over berating an extra. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, he was, he's a huge high wired alpha, but more than that troubled sort of personality that is nevertheless as a, a really creative and kind of amazing dude and that that energy and that that insanity to you know not to diagnose him on the show but that shows up in the films in a great way yeah joy too i really really like joy joy's my favorite non-true story true story ever i think i love it so i want him to succeed so when i was watching amsterdam i was like geez what's the what's the big deal it's the the only thing about it that's bad is that it's just not as good as that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not compelling as that. It's it's silly. It's like super silly. And that sort of zany, wacky thing, which they thought they kind of had permission to, to you know, that Blake Edwards kind of movie making style. Oh wow. Okay. They thought they kind of had permission to bring back into the world and and it just people didn't People didn't. People didn't want it, you know. Which is weird because see how they run was a minor little hit, and it's not that different. More modest, perhaps. Um, sure. Amsterdam's true story is amazing. Its its period details are amazing. Its humor is not farcically laugh out loud humor. It's subtle. It's like all the best jokes in in American Hustle, where he, they just. They're really funny, but they they're moving past you. They're too clever and they're moving past you too quick, or they're too grounded in sort of sad humanity that you kind of feel like you can't guffaw at them. But I still thought it was really good. Like I said, Remy Malik is, is delightful in it. I mean, just him and Anya Taylor Joy as these upper crust, you know, um, industrialists, you know, bringing the bringing the dark industrialist of the past bravely into the future. You know, they're, they're hilarious. <laughs> they're hilarious. I, I mean, to me, I thought, you know, I thought it was really funny. And I thought that the, that the friendship between the three mains who are all played by the best actors in the world, basically won, won yeah. the day in the end. Now, maybe not in some completely believable way, but like you, that, part of the story sneaks up on you. And I thought De Niro's character and the way they all talk about him. And when he show when he shows up, it, it De Niro has been in all of these movies I just named basically, 
when he shows up, it has to be him because it has to be somebody with that sort right. of presence to to make the thing fly. And that movie promises you something and then it delivers on it sort of repeatedly. And I thought that that was very, very fun. The explanation for what is happening at the end is deliberately absurd. It goes on way too long and it's way too much to explain because what's happening is effing crazy. <laughs> but I, I got the kick out of that. So... I thought Amsterdam was harmless. If you've been avoiding it because you think it's some sort of incompetent train wreck of a film, you you shouldn't. It is anything but that. It is, though, big, expensive, sort of bloated, old, super old-fashioned comedy that you know that has none of the button-pushing fun of something like Knives Out or or any of the sort of subtle shadiness of like death on the nile it's it's it it's farcical without the threes company style gut laughs and that's i mean that's a tough sell but i still thought for what it was it it was really really well made and i'm 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 surprised i mean i'm surprised people are still after all the decent storytelling and all the basically really going to the therapy and trying to get along with people that people would still be coming at him for stuff he did back during the movies that they actually liked of his. I find the I find that whole thing's to be sort yeah. of we may hear hey, we may hear of him you know, screaming at some old person or something in a movie. I mean, anything is possible. You know, uh, demons are hard to put away for good. They really are. And Hollywood is not uh especially when you're in the head seat, it's not a place to work that stuff out and today's times are not times to be behaving badly when you have a history of behaving badly so don't get me wrong but i mean i really do i really do want to believe that like i don't believe it but i want to believe that someday you know leah michelle's gonna talk to all those people that are pissed at her and there'll be some healing there that we won't still be talking about this crap in 30 years all these gossipy you know things all this of all these mm-hmm. people who weren't at their best in the public eye and so i the the need to pile on him when he made a film that clearly wasn't gonna make its money back but that's the weird thing i mean wow you know they gave the, he made the wrong film he's not the only one man there's some but they're better filmmakers that made worse bigger films this year than that one and that one i just thought because it's fun and because there's a, a nice little kernel of a hopeful thing in it, I just thought mm-hmm. it was a bit mean what happened to it. So, mm. um, okay, well now let's uh, let's move into uh, let's take some mystery and move it into uh, the modern day, um, and uh, you know one of the uh, a beloved film uh, of uh, character of Chevy Chase. Um, Fletch, uh, Erwin M. Fletcher, uh, is uh, rebooted and sort of not reimagined because he's uh, imagined more like he is in the books uh, by John Hamm and Confess Fletch. Fletch, the the one you all know with Chevy Chase, is one of the best comedies of the 80s. It's certainly the best mm-hmm. Chevy Chase has ever been in a movie. Yeah. At least we'll say as a leading man. It because see, there's an edge to him in real life that appeared in that movie. It kind of maybe was always there lurking in the background, but but 
Fletch is, it, it's all that zany, weird, fast-talking nonsense. For sure, that's part of the fun. And the stupid, stupid, stupid disguises. <laughs> Those are fun for some reason. I don't right. know why. Um, but it's it's more than that. He gets wrapped up in these stories that have this sort of gross, dark core to them. And it's his sort of... It's hard to explain, but it's his... It's him being nonplussed by the darkness of humanity that allows him to persevere. It's him expecting the worst out of everybody. That's a cynical character to play. And Chevy wasn't asked to play the full gambit of what that is, but he still in the in the Fletch that he got. We won't say anything about the sequel, but with the in the Fletch that he got originally, Michael Ritchie. Everybody came together to make a really, really great noir detective film at an era where that was anything but what people were looking for. And mm-hmm. and John Hamm is exactly perfectly right. This was a modest enough film that I really hope we get nine more Fletch movies with John yep. Hamm as Fletch because, man... That's a is a match made in heaven. It is so fun to watch. Even if the, this particular mystery is like, I you know I don't really know. I can't right. really explain it to you. It's pretty convoluted and stupid. Uh, I mean, I'll give you I'll give you the uh, the IMDb thing. After becoming uh, the prime suspect in multiple murders, <laughs> Fletch strives to prove his innocence while simultaneously searching for his fiance's stolen art collection. So there's, you know, there's that. That's fine. Um, it's um, really, it's yeah, it's all it's about good. Well, I was just gonna say the the movie. I mean, it it, it is <laughs> the plot is uh, is 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 fine. It's you know in in terms of structure and, and linear, but it's it is <clears throat> it's exactly like you described. It is this character. It is this guy and how he. Uh, the filter with which he views the world and uh it is uh, and the, the way he the way he yeah because he's it's hard to explain i mean fletch is either 100 percent lying to you or 100 percent telling you the truth and it is right. really hard for people coming at him to keep up with him like mentally mm-hmm. or or just to keep their information straight and stuff and he is he's able to do that. And it's, it's, you know, there's no, he's not a shady dude. He's, he does outright deceive people, but it's so mm-hmm. obvious when he's doing it to us. And most of the time he sits there and frustrates people by telling them the truth in a very witty and smarter way than they're able to articulate. Right. And that gets at everybody. <laughs> and it's, it's a delight to watch. It really is. It's, it's, this film's very, I don't know how super low budget it is, but it really feels like it was made by a, a TV crew and right. s- somebody who works on a weekly series. And I, I, I mean, felt like when a... I watched it, like I, I wish it was that. I wish we could get another one right away. Like I, yeah. it, it, it had, it was better than that because those novels are, the mysteries are beefier than like your average episode yeah, of yeah. Matlock or Monk or something like that. Yeah. But still. Still great. It was great to have Fletch was, back on screen, uh, and I hope they, I hope they find at least a trilogy. I would love that. I hope they keep yeah. making more of those. Yeah, estimated about twenty million, and did not do, did not pull back uh, much in gross. Well, uh, but so. it, that's, but it, they are. The, it had yeah, a pretty yeah, and, limited theater release yeah. too. That was meant to be a streaming hit, and whether it was or not, 
the right. we, we'll never really be told the straight story on that. Sure, sure. Um, but I mean, they are, you know, I'm, I'm just looking on here. Uh, Fletch two is in development despite, uh, not having a full green light yet. So, um, we'll see. You know, so hopefully, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. And I I'm with you. I, I, I really dug it. I had a lot of fun. Roy Wood jr. As the, um, as the inspector yeah. who's, you know, really, you know, just, just super fun. Um, yeah, that's a thankless role because when you're the yeah. inspector you're the in a fletch story you're a stooge in the butt of about a hundred jokes mm -hmm. and the only way really to do that is to stand up straight and take it on the chin the whole film and and typically you get to you get a little dig in at the end if the author likes yeah. you in this yeah, case he uh, pretty much does I, and I, Aiden Mary, I don't, I never know how to pronounce her name, uh, her last name correctly, but uh -huh. Aiden uh, Mary, who's the, who's like the, uh, who's the other cop, who's the other. She's hilarious um, too. It, very She's straight faced, very yep. dry humor. But I mean, if that's the kind of thing you like, people don't write like that much anymore. And it was mm -hmm. really neat to see in this film. Um, and, and uh, uh, we're going to round off this category with the movie uh with with the franchise i guess that sort of invited all of these other uh movies back to uh back to hollywood and that you know the original was knives out and now we we have uh, another uh benoit blanc uh mystery and this one is glass onion yeah ryan uh ryan uh, johnson johnson he was he was walking around doing interviews and, and every interview where they would let him say it, he was complaining about how they made him call it a knives out mystery. He's so mad about right. that. He's like, people aren't stupid. We don't need to treat them like they're stupid. And this has nothing mm -hmm. to do with knives out. It does. It has the same, you know, inspector. So yep. it is a recurring story, but it, it, you know, knives out specific to that <laughs> that other movie we just saw look knives out is a work of genius and not yeah. so not so much although it didn't hurt not so but i thought not so much because of daniel craig and this character i thought that was fun but i thought what why that movie really worked was was um the same reason see how they run works which is that you it was anna diarmas's character who was you just were in love with her from the start and you wanted to see her succeed. And she just almost gets busted 25 times. And there's real tension in that when you're it's, I mean, if you do it right, the person can be guilty as sin and you still find yourself rooting for them to get away because there's just tension and almost getting caught. And we've all, and in a, hopefully in a more minor situations, we've all sort of felt that in our own lives. Like, Am I going to get away with this? Are they going to look away and start talking about something else? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that relief that comes from, yes, this is over, is powerful. And that build up of tension and relief and build up of tension and relief is it's the oldest thing of mystery mm -hmm. storytelling that there is. And But when it works, it works like a charm. Ryan totally gets that. Yeah, he gets the big familial cast of quirky characters, but... And all of that is done really, really well in Knives Out. None of it is done as well here. So I guess if there's a knock on Glass Onion, it's that it's in every way measurable worse than Knives Out was. Um, but it's still, there's the, the mystery and the solution to it is still as audacious as we would like. 
not to mention like it has a sort of has a kernel of wisdom from how we how look at things in today's society like it I like that part of it, but I would have rather it just been about people that I gave a crap about instead of crazy people that I didn't give a crap about who were nonetheless dazzling in this fun story. Um, let's just say that I wanted them to be murdered or anything. That, that's not true, but it right it didn't feel remotely believable in the way that, that uh, Knives Out kept one foot in the real world so that you really did invest an important part of yourself in it. I never did in this. Oh, that was disappointing. Um, but it still got lots of laughs, lots of gags that are really, really funny. The Mm -hmm. him, uh, it, 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 Craig's performance is welcome. The, and the, I really do think, I think this, I don't, audiences didn't seem to care too much about this. I guess some of them hated it, but, the fact that it's an allegory for for how we treat the sort of rich geniuses in our lives, the trillionaires, and how we assume yep. that everybody who's got a trillion dollars must be some amazingly self-made um, person instead of just yeah. extremely lucky on some occasions, is that was fun lesson to learn throughout this kind of mystery. But a billionaire's private island in this weird state-of-the-art techno castle. Like, there's... None of it feels like we're... It's a part of our world at all. And mm-hmm. and and I normally don't like singling out people for being terrible, but next time you're going to put Kate Hudson in a movie, remember, there are all the other actors out there as well that you could have chosen. Just... <laughs> think about that to be fair to kate this part she has is isn't good but it it if someone would have tried to do something with it and she's like one of the few well-paid leading ladies in hollywood that just wouldn't have tried anything and doesn't and it and she's outclassed by every other single person in the film and that's that's actually sad to watch rather than some fun thing for me and i'm not even a fan of her so so I'm uh I'm th- I don't want to total sidetrack us out here um but he's nominated so uh Ryan Johnson's nominated for an Academy Award for this film for writing but it's in the it's uh, clever adapted, I mean it's clever it's, to it's the, the nines true yeah but I'm saying it's an adapt it's in adaptive screenplay oh because it's adapted from like, his previous film is yeah I don't I mean that's where I'm trying to like how is the it only adapted? only thing it can be it's certainly not a book or anything yeah it's weird. so it must be all sequels are adapted screenplays yeah I guess maybe that weird um anyway that's that's neither here nor there yeah hey, no, if you Onion, love Knives Out um, you got to see Glass Onion I mean I don't think anything I say is going to make you not see it and I'm not telling you not to see it I enjoyed myself I just right it, I'm it in the isn't... boat with a lot of people where I really like the one thing and this is sort of this is sort of the Fletch lives of this particular franchise. At this point, we've only got two Kinda movies. Mm-hmm. This one's got laughs and stuff, but it's none of the charm, none of the heart, none of the soul, none of the rest of it of the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how you get back to that without going backwards. Right. You know, what does he do now? Solve the queen's murder or something? I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, it just, it takes that huge leap right. into nonsense 
Um, but I, again, I, 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 so I didn't like any of that. Like it's one of those weird ones, but I still wouldn't have given it a negative score. Very, yeah. very clever. Very funny. And I mean, that's not a bad way to spend the night. That's hard to do to live with those jokes for months and keep them fresh. And the movie finds a way to do that. And the, the, everybody else, um, Craig for sure. But, um, Ed Norton in particular, really fun performances by people in it. Right. Right. Um, so that's going to be I mean, even Kate Hudson in a snow globe is sort of funny. <laughs> right. Um, so that does it for our category of whodunits, our, 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 our comedic whodunits. Um, and, and that's, you know, those are five pretty solid, uh, solid endorsements um, to see these movies. Uh, if you are into, you know, so people doing mysteries are doing them at a very high level right now. So that's good. I don't. I don't think in any of these made enough money that. Although you're going to see another Poirot, you'll certainly get another Benoit or whatever his Benoit. name is. Benoit Blanc. Yep. You'll definitely get at least one more of those yep. before it's all over. Yep. Also, that film, you know, Knives Out came out in the theaters and it had a life, nice shelf life. Uh, Glass Onion had a theater release right after Thanksgiving for a two weeks yep. limited and then it premiered worldwide on Christmas and then everyone stopped talking about it. It's, it's funny how the streaming movies, they just pew, they pop up. They're in your social media for three days and then they are gone. And even the big hits like this. And I just think that, that also was like a whole different way, a whole different way this film came to life and, and lived in the public sphere. And, and it, it wasn't, as interesting or as cool or as fun. So, um, all right. So to change, uh, change direction here, we are going to, um, we're going to talk <clears throat> about now, while the other movies may have had to do with murder, uh, we're going to, these next films are about surviving something else. Life. I, I don't know. I was trying, that's a, I don't know. It was an attempt at a segue. You suck. Um, yep. That was not good. Uh, there was uh, so we you know there are movies like Horizon Line and Infinite Storm that came out, but uh, you know for this category we're going <laughs> to Horizon talk, Line's kind of uh, old. It's a J.J. Abrams produced straight to streaming movie mm -hmm. with Allison Williams, where two people are basically on a plane in the Caribbean and the yeah. pilot dies. It it gets as much out of that as you can imagine. Infinite mm -hmm. Storm is this: how do you save somebody who went out in the wilderness to kill themselves? <laughs> well, there you go. It's that's an exercise in frustration, and then it get, and then it gets really dark. So I don't know if I can recommend that to anybody, but yeah. it does have some pretty cool storm footage, and um, Naomi Watts, who's always good. Yeah, um, the first movie we're going to talk about though in this category uh, is Beast with Idris Elba. Yeah, man, you guys um, really like Idris Elba. <laughs> No, Idris is a, Idris is great. Yeah, but what's he super? Uh, I loves me. I, look, I'm not trying to take down Idris Elba. He is great, but what's he super great in? Really, his TV show he gets a lot of cred for, but that TV show is almost unwatchably over dramatic and and over the top and stupid. Luther, what <laughs> movie was he so awesome in that we you know that we have to? I just don't get it. He's like any other actor, and here. Because his presence alone and his presence only elevates this stupid when lions attack movie into everyone saw it and everyone's watching it. And I just, I, I like these kinds of movies, so I'm not complaining, but 
I don't I don't get it. I don't get the I don't get the I don't I don't get it. What's so great about him? I, he was really great in was the the poker movie. He was really good as the lawyer reading that Sorkin dialogue. Oh yeah. But we oh, all yeah. sound great reading Sorkin dialogue, okay? It almost doesn't count. And was that even him? It was him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I'm telling see. you, you um, could have put Tyler Perry in that same role and he'd been just as good because that dialogue was yeah. the whole show. And Tyler Perry, you know, who's not a very good actor, still could show up. And if you just read what's on the page <laughs> and read his How to Act by Mammoth book, he would have gotten through it with flying colors. So I don't know. I just. Um, yeah. You know, he did it. He did, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela. Uh, he played He's Nelson pretty good Mandela. in that, but that movie's impenetrable. You don't learn anything about Nelson Mandela in it mm -hmm. ever. Um, he was. What's the other one that. Um that beasts of no nation he's pretty uh, good and pretty good in that i yep. mean idris is great actor i'm not saying he's not i'm saying i'm saying y'all just worship the guy like y'all well, worship betty white for a while there and nothing she did was wrong and i'm kind of like he's only as good as the material and here he's in a we, go ahead lest we forget he's a damn fine looking man <laughs> No arguments there. And he's a giant nerd. And there, you know, yeah, those two yeah. things are very, very appealing right Look, now. Look, he's a credit to everything he shows up in. I just I just don't think he's the next coming of Jesus. Well, let's talk about Beast. Uh Beast is about a father and his two teenage daughters, and they find themselves hunted by a massive rogue lion intent on proving that the savannah has but one apex predator. <laughs> Let's um, give it up for that 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 uh, description. Whoever wrote that for IMDb. Thankfully, and this is the greatest thing about Idris Elba and Beast is that he's just a guy. He's a father whose teenage daughters just torture him relentlessly. He's a widower, <laughs> so there's this sadness sort of hanging over them. There's all this stuff that a movie like this flat out don't need. When the lions attack, we don't need the tortured backstory. Mm -hmm. You just don't need any of that. It's scary enough that the lion is trying to eat your face. Um, what's great about Beast is that it, it there been this movie's been made every year on on a calendar year at like on the spot for ages. This when animals attack stuff, um, yeah. particularly with big cats who are smart and very trainable and relatively safe to feature in films like this. I don't want to say they're completely safe, but they're, you know, the people know what they're doing. So the trick is, how do you get your big movie star and his plucky little children in camera with the threat so that you really do feel like it's happening? And you've got to think of ways to do that. And it's a claustrophobic thing. They're mostly locked in a car the whole time. That's not very interesting. So how do you keep it interesting? Um, one of the ways is you put Charles to Copley in <laughs> Right. You never know what that guy's going to do. <laughs> he's he's um he's great. He's, he sort of finds that quiet tone that the film tries to start off with in a great way and when then things go bonkers, he's 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 uh, he's obviously game for that as we know. Um and the kids are winning enough and I mean the the lions perform really super well. If there's CG lions in it, I couldn't tell. These are the nicest things you can say about a dumb movie like this. Um, 
So it yep. was it was awesome, but it it was nothing without Idris Elba. If there you put you Tyler Perry in this thing, I mean, nobody would have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> he might have been just as good, but nobody would have seen it. So you now need, you would, need... it, would it have been? How would it have been had it been Tyler Perry as Medea? Well, the other here the other <laughs> man, that's a good question. Or Idris Elba <laughs> as Medea? I'd like to see it's... that. <laughs> um, we. The other thing is, look at the poster, the the Idris looking all alpha male. Now, the fact that his character mm-hmm. isn't that is a nice surprise. But looking all alpha male and protecting those kids. And you think the movie's going to end with one of those kids getting mauled to death by a lion? It's right. not. No. So no, there's not even really any tension in what's happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's a bummer because you just you don't believe for a second that's possible. And the, these films work best when you do at least momentarily think that that could happen. Right. And this doesn't have any of that tension. So what you're left with is all the little interpersonal stuff and how even when being chased by a killer lion, uh, teenagers just don't want to do what you tell them to. Mm. And it's uh, that does sort of create some tension, which is fun. The poster makes it look like the lion's about to stop and go, damn, Idris. Your ass looking fine. That's what. <laughs> that lion's got a legitimate beef against humanity. I'll just say that. that well, like yes, that, that there is that. Yes, you're, but you're that too right. is like really. I mean, it's a mammal, you know, with a relatively well developed sense of community, family, and 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 you know, we know this about lions. So I didn't hate that, but I was kind of like. Are they scarier when you don't know why the hell they're doing what they're doing? You know, Jaws is scary because it's like, what the hell? <laughs> it's not. It has. It's not personal. It has nothing to do with you. It's just a thing that's killing you, and it's like, hey, whatever. That's frightening. This this vendetta against humanity is like, yeah, it's a lot to graft onto an animal. But it, again, in, on a base level, it works in this film. So Beast is really entertaining. It's just. But it doesn't transcend any of the traps of the genre. Not mm-hmm. a single one. Not one. Um, well, next up is a movie I have no interest in talking about. Um, listeners to the show know <clears throat> that I expressed very early on when this was previously in a different category uh, that I have no interest in talking <laughs> about this film. Um, and You've it been is talking movie... about it? I didn't even want to do that. <laughs> I, I I don't think that uh, I, I'm not going to see this movie. I don't think anyone should see this movie. I think encouraging it only encourages this kind of behavior. Um, and it is the story of two friends who find themselves stuck at the top of a 2000 foot radio tower. And the movie is called Fall. Who are the two young women in it, by the way? Um, let's see. Uh, Becky is Grace, Caroline Curie, and uh, Shiloh Hunter plays Virginia Gardner, or the other way around. I expect. What's that? No, sh- I'm, I'm just reading off of IMDb here. Sh- but uh, yeah, but Virginia, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, Becky, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Right, Jenny Gardner's an actor. You're Virginia Gardner, yeah, Jenny Gardner is playing Shiloh and Grace Caroline. Kerr, I just, yeah, thank you. Yeah, hey, um, I just crapped all over Idris Elba. Like all of our listeners are gone now. No one is ever going to listen to the show again. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't yeah, mean to so, do that. Um, I'm just asking Grace the Curry question. And, yeah. Let us, let me know in your words if you can. 
what is so awesome about Idris Elba? Joel, yeah. Joel oh, already see, named the the, one of the obvious ones, which he is a very there's good the challenge is using is using your words because we could just be getting lots of uh, messages going. Mm. Actually, we'll take Yum. messages anyway we can get them. <laughs> uh, so, Fall is a story about a girl who loses her boyfriend, fiance, in a tragic climbing accident. And her best friend's cure for her is to take her out on another really dangerous climbing yep. thing. Face Your Fear, which, as we've talked about on the show, uh, very cinematically satisfying, extremely psychologically unsound. <laughs> um, they climb to yeah. the top of the one of the world one of the world's largest structures, this radio tower out in the middle of the desert. And through a convoluted set of events, um, get trapped there. And if you are scared of heights, it is a terrifying movie. It is terrifying. It is, however they made it, they put you right up there. And I mean, it is just super scary. Uh, problem I'll give you is, this. I, can, go ahead. I, I mean, and, and no, because we talk about how, you know, making that tension seem real, especially in a movie like this. Yeah. The filmmakers, I'm just reading this from IMDb, they they considered a green screen or digital sets, but ultimately opted for the real thing. They decided to build the upper portion of the tower on top of a mountain so that yeah. the actors would really appear to be thousands of feet in the air, even though they were really only about 100 feet. Still, still, though. 100 feet. If I'm, at, try, if I'm trying to, quote unquote, act... Uh, at a hundred feet above the ground, mm, I, that's going to be some, uh, there's going to be lots of bathroom breaks for Joel, um, in that situation. It's, you know, it, it gets the most out of this sort of high concept trapped on a little four by four platform idea that you could possibly get out of it, but it gets a little too much out of it. it it's a short film, but it, 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 it gets just gets away from them Oof. but again it, it 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 with a survival movie like this a, a horror type survival movie where the fear really is the primal thing that it's showing you not many of us are really frightened of lions you know we don't get to get eaten by one but this just gets right at it's visually everything about the making of it, it gets right at what's scary about what they're doing and and so in that way, it's a smashing success. But as a film, it's got a way too much sort of storytelling minutia and sophistication that it gets away with or that it sort of loses track of. I think a smarter movie would have taken those scary moments and maybe told us the backstory in flashbacks or something, bounced around a little mm -hmm. bit through time. That's how uh, similarly... Uh, Heights movie, the Aeronauts did it, and it was smart because that little adventure. If if you just followed that in a linear way, you get sick of each sort of bit of rising action, so it breaks it up by le you learn how we all got here slowly throughout the movie. It parallel stories works geniusly. This gets all that out of the way at first, and then it gets up on the tower, and then with about. 25 minutes left to go it can only get more crazy and convoluted because that's the only place it has left and that's a bummer but i mean 
early, you know, not first time filmmakers, but, you know, young, young filmmakers making an ambitious film, the poster art, which it's, you go on streaming and all it is, is it just crops the heights out. So you just see the actors. Good job streaming. That's smart. That's really, really, really smart way to sell this film that has as little to do with them as it does with where they are. You just cut the where they are part out. Just so stupid. Um, because that poster is genius, man. It made Joel freak out, and he didn't even see the yep. movie. <laughs> Correct. So it's everything, and in that way, the movie puts you on the tower. You couldn't ask for more. Right. So. Um. All right. So. Uh. <laughs> so survive. Yeah. You know, go see if you feel the need to like. Oh, I need to feel like I might. I. You know what would. What would I do in a situation where I'm most likely going to die? I need to see how someone would escape. Go see one of these survival films. Um, but all right, probably next not up. Infinite Storm unless you just want to slit your wrists at the end of the movie. There you go. Um, okay, here we go. So, uh, you know, uh, something that is as uh, that is as inevitable as death and taxes. Uh, it is sequels, prequels, and reboots. Um, so, uh, sequels, prequels, remakes, and reboots, all four kinds of movies, mm -hmm. Joel. We cover them all on the movie show, Joel and Ryan. We do not discriminate. No, uh, we watch them. So, in many cases, you don't have to. And by we, I mean Ryan. Uh, and uh, we're gonna start (laughs) out with a movie that I mean, a story that people have just been clamoring to continue the adventures of and find out more. Um, and that is, of course, the tales of uh, of Raccoon City. We're going to go back to Welcome to Raccoon City in Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. It's set in 1998. This origin, it's an origin story, people. Yeah. Have you, all the times that you have been like, gosh, this world of zombies and things like that. How did it start? Uh, it's going to explore the secrets of the mysterious Spencer Ma- Mansion and the ill-fated Raccoon City. Uh, they must be really, really good video games because they're it's it's it is now seven really, mm-hmm. really terrible movies and and I don't understand how that can happen. Resident Evil movies are terrible, and Resident Evil movie fans are also terrible. Like this movie, I mean, I, I was like, okay, I yeah. mean, at least it's. I like a good origin story. Yeah, explain it to me. It can't though, because it can only explain things to you in in video game logic, and and that that almost never translates very well to film unless you really alter it. And if you alter anything even a little bit, mm-hmm. all the stupid video game fans like rail against you yeah. for endless uh-huh. hours and hours and hours. They stay up all night, and when they're not playing their game they're just attacking you relentlessly without fail and this film i this film I mean, does both I, it, it it is a terrible movie based on a video game and it is was attacked by all the people who think the game should make great movies but i think we can say now maybe resident evil just won't make a very good movie uh, not if you're trying to make a big old actiony flick. I, I mean, uh, or something. But, but I, even you know, as a I horror movie or time. a monster yeah. movie, it it they're not effective. They're but not scary. That's they're gross sometimes. But is that enough for mm-hmm. all this? 
Right. And that's what, you know, um, and I say this every time a Resident Evil movie comes up uh, back. in. I mean, and here's part of also the problem. 1998, when I moved to New York City and we had like no money, but I had my old PlayStation 2 and uh, a copy of Resident Evil and Resident Evil 2. We I, I spent like all my time just playing the video games because it was just something I could do uh to keep you know and 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 jennifer would sit and watch watch me play because the 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 game was that engrossing she wasn't like you know she she was almost like playing along with me and it's like oh go 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 look over there in that shadow or you know and it, it was so much fun so i get the idea of okay you know yeah here's a franchise that that you know that we you know storyline that we can uh that we can mine for for film but and it makes me wonder if like if they had if if filmmakers or or somebody had approached the resident evil material the way hbo and them are are, have approached the last of us what would we be talking about oh yeah no this is this is great this is super good because Last of Us is a video game, but it's all about the slow burn suspense. What you know, when is you know, when is something gonna last, last there of are us still puts all of its effort into making it feel real and believable? And the Resident mm-hmm. Evil films resist that at every yep. turn, at every yep. turn, every choice that can be made, every casting decision, every characterization is superficial fake and video gamey and right and it and i don't know what to do with that i get the appeal of the game right it's it's not because it's not just a fighting monsters game it's it's you're following these clues and solving these little mysteries and that's really satisfying but shockingly cinematically that's not terribly satisfying in any of these either the only one of those films that i've seen this is i would say this is my second favorite one though which out of this whole giant list of resident evil films which i've seen them all for some reason Mm -hmm. it's this my second favorite my favorite was resident evil 3 the one that took place in the desert in vegas and sort of felt like a mad max movie and Russell Mulcahy directed that too, guy who made mm. Highlander and some other things. And um, I don't know that it's Russell's genius direction that makes it awesome. I just thought being out in the desert with the different animals and stuff like something about that was like you're just you're not in a dungeon. It's not the same old crap anymore. You know what I mean? It's the CG yeah. feels more real because it's out in these sort of real environments. Like it, that film just worked better. And it had that side character who's actually like a person. It wasn't just a Jovich vehicle. Right. Because um, she, she's a terrible actor and she's terrible in those movies. Even though she's, I, it's hard to argue she's not perfectly cast as that blank face, nothing cipher of a leading person in them. She's mm-hmm. kind of, that's, and she's physically like, she can kick ass like in real life. So that's fun to watch. But, you know. There's no depth or nothing of interest there, and she does nothing interesting with the material ever. So mm-hmm. that's you know that's not all on her. That's the kind of movies that these are. But I just I'm sick of them. And this one, this had a chance to really reboot things, and it it does go back and start at the beginning. But other than that, the tonally, 
the, the way the monsters are presented, the way it's all these mono mono fights that are dull, it it all the same. It has all the same pitfalls as the other films, and that's that's a shame because the setting, the fact that it's we're that it's our world supposedly that this stuff is happening in, like all that could lead to something good, and it 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 doesn't. It it leads to mm-hmm. something. That's only slightly less crappy than what's gone before. And yet, because the people who like these judged it for leaving out this or that thing that they got all hung up on, it it, it, it wasn't even a hit with those people. So who are you right. trying to please at this point? Let that thing die. It died a couple of years ago. Let it die again. It's okay. And it and it died again with the net with a very bad, apparently very bad Netflix series that tried to that yeah, was, I didn't that see that, but exactly. I mean, I think it was. I don't even think you could watch it anymore on the streaming service. So, it's time to let Resident Evil go the way of the Umbrella Corporation and go bye bye. Nobody's gonna um, miss you. That's sad to say, can. but it's always been true. Live on in our video game hearts. Uh, all right. Um, the sequel to Enchanted, which was a delightful Disney romp, <clears throat> um, the uh, was um, it, it came out and it's called Disenchanted. Huh? See what they did there? Things maybe didn't go happy ever after. Mm-hmm. Um, fifteen years after her. He- 15 years oh my gosh i didn't even realize it it's been that long for that movie yeah. uh 15 years after her happily ever after giselle questions her happiness inadvertently turning the lives of those in the real world and andalasia upside down in the process okay so uh, yeah. this was supposed to be a theatrical released film i can't when i watched it i kind of couldn't believe that because enchanted is everything you want out of a theatrical mm-hmm. send up of a Disney movie, you know, and one of the better, um, like portal into the real world films maybe ever made. It, it's really, really great. And it works on all cylinders despite being, you know, a lark and sort of silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and disenchanted is fun. It's a neat idea. Let's let's catch up with the have, happily ever after crew and see where they're at. The film is a bit of a bait and switch in that it's primarily from the point of view of um, their daughter, who's now a seventeen-year-old junior in high school, who's having to move to a small town and change schools and make friends. And mm-hmm. that character is really betrayed by the writing in a major way. It's written. To, for her to be maximum cool to people that are her age now. And I see a lot of that in entertainment and it's too bad. It, we'll try and write her as a person. The, you need the, all the fantasy that's going on and there's a ton of it. You need to have right. s- some reality. That's the point of the thing. It's just opposing those two things. If it's just making people go, what at the bake sale, <laughs> I mean that's funny too but you you that can't be all that it is. And and it's certainly you can't just lean into the fantasy aspects of it cuz in in enchanted they're stupid, they're deliberately stupid. But it is fun to see these people play these characters again and there are laughs to be had. 
um, Disenchanted, while Enchanted was a was a, a, a you know basically a live action, a, a big budget live action adventure story that had one big musical number that was genius that made fun of musical numbers and these types of things. Right. This has this decides to have nine non genius, very cliched musical numbers <laughs> that basically make the thing what it is. It, it's a it's a musical this time around. It's a legit musical. And that's again, that's not an improvement. <laughs> it's right. a bummer to say that, but that isn't. The songs are nice and they're well done, but it's it's um so it's not a terrible thing, but it's just another way where you look at the thing that you used to have. What was it? And what are mm -hmm. you doing now? And why are you doing it more like the thing that you were making fun of? It's confusing. Um, who was the bad guy in the first one? Susan Sarandon? Susan Sarandon, yeah. And now we have Maya Rudolph. And that change is profound. Susan mm -hmm. Sarandon is an actor who gets the, who decides she's going to be an evil queen on screen and goes for it. Bam. Maya Rudolph's mm -hmm. a sort of comedian and it's winky she and a, she's just sort of goofing mm -hmm. around and she's charming and funny and she sings good. So there's, there's a lot to like about Maya Rudolph, but that change is literally the change between the two movies. It's one person's like, Hey, I'm here. Now I'm turning yeah. into a dragon. This shit's I happening. Am, yeah, and Maya Rudolph's the... like, isn't this all just goofy? Can you believe how <clears throat> mm -hmm. wicked I am? And it's, the whole movie has that sense mm -hmm. to it and it just keeps, it doesn't ruin it or make it unwatchable, but it just keeps you from getting involved. It just keeps it on this superficial level that it's tough. It's easy to enjoy, but it is very, very tough to connect with. And of course, that's one of my bigger criticisms about film is, well, why don't you just step way off to the side into who gives a shit land and then see how far I'll follow you. It becomes yeah. an exercise in that. But it, but I didn't hate it or anything. I thought it, Disenchanted was kind of fun. But I think everybody had that same reaction, even if it was for reasons different than mine. Was kind of like, eh, okay. I mean, I don't want to be all mad at the Enchanted gang, but right, this, this isn't what I wanted. And and I'd be stunned well, like, clearly if, if someone who really liked that first film had a different um, reaction to it. Well, here's the deal. I mean, I I did really enjoy you know as someone who. <laughs> made most of his career doing musicals and stuff yeah. uh i really did enjoy the first uh the first movie and i haven't even watched this yet because i'm just like ah, I, it, uh, yeah uh, really? you know because it just doesn't it doesn't seem as much you know it, 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 the first one was a was a yeah was a great that's a that's a really uh, good review turn it on its ear disenchanted and... it doesn't seem as much Dot dot dot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> dot. Yeah, it isn't. So. That is the right. It isn't as much. It, um, just, all right, let's it just move diminishes on. It's the its previous. Uh, it doesn't diminish the previous right. film, but it diminishes the idea too much, way too much. Waters it down. Um, we next up is another origin story. Uh, this one for the Kingsman franchise. Uh, and now, and, and this one is, uh, maybe, maybe appropriately, I, I don't know, uh, just called the King's man, um, um, with, uh, Ray Fiennes. Again, people hated this cause there's not as many like butt sex jokes and all the stuff that make the Kingsman True. movie such a great time. 
this are all softened here. What you basically have is a cartoon World War One thriller about spies and, you know, like a super formula. Mm-hmm. There's some super stuff in it, but it, it, I liked it. It's the first Kingsman movie I enjoyed myself and didn't feel disgusted by because it was basically just old people trying to save the world again. And I'm kind of like, hey, that's, right. that's nice. Even I can get behind that. Um, <laughs> I, and I was surprised because I didn't expect to. I only was watching this because I watched those other two crappy movies. I guess I'll watch this <laughs> stupid movie too. And it was I was delighted by that it passed the time fun. It's stupid. It's cartoony. It's very much a, a comic it's not a comic book, but it's a comic book, or maybe it is. It is a, a comic Kingsman book. It's based on the, a comic the, book. The Kingsman is the Kingsman's based on a comic book. Yep. So this has a comic book feel to it, but it it just doesn't have any of those. It just doesn't have any of those multitude of. There's no um, there's no funny mass slaughter scene where a bunch of unarmed people get killed just because they're annoying. For example, I find that distasteful i don't think that's funny we don't get we don't get a great uh you know slow-mo round robin of everyone's heads exploding graphically i it it, i'm telling you all of that is gone and what's left in its place is a silly because it is comic booky spy plot to save the world during world war one and that and that really helps and they got the right cast of people to pull that off and it, it all works like a charm i but it, it has nothing that made you want it has no Elton John cameo. It has none of that dumb, mm. stupid crap that you all thought was so funny that made those other ones work. It has none of it, and as a result, I don't think people found it very fun. <laughs> I think they were found themselves like, What are these guys getting so serious about punching each other out at the top of a cliff? Right. Shouldn't like they be flying like some giant pelican right. mechanical thing and like <laughs> eating like the townspeople by accident and wouldn't we all giggle mm-hmm. at that and it's like it just doesn't have anything those other movies have and it's all the better for that it's still i can hardly call it good but well good i can call it good i can't call it great but good we'll call yeah. it good it's pretty good it's it's pretty good it's it's a different if you watch a lot of superhero movies and you wish Somehow there were more because you don't want to watch them three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in a row. Here you go. You got one. They made one and, and it kind of came out without a lot of hoopla and disappeared. And this is very, there's no superheroes in it, but it's very comic book adventure. And that, that alone, if you do it within certain parameters, isn't such a bad thing. Um, all right, next and up And you do is... not need to see the other Kingsman movies to see it, so you can just skip right to it. It's technically an origin story that doesn't even really very much connect to the other ones, which that's the yeah. other thing modern audiences don't like. They want to see the connections. All I right. want you to refer to the previous movie at least a dozen times before the first half of the movie is mm. over. They want I to want see... to know, yeah. I want to hear someone refer to someone as Eggsy. Uh, even though it does makes no sense, I just wanted to. D- d- no, they want yeah. they want self referential noise and crap, and this film doesn't do that either, which is great. <laughs> I love it. Right. I don't know what to say. I mean, it it's it's the best Kingsman movie for me they could have possibly made. I feel like I should be grateful for that. And just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> just say thank you and move on. Yeah, I think it's. Um... <laughs> 
All right. Uh, next up is a sequel to one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, experiences from a few movie experiences from a few years back. Um, uh, uh, Netflix original, uh, one of the few Netflix originals that uh, made me go, "Yay, that was really lovely!" And that is Enola Holmes. We have Enola Holmes two, Millie Bobby Brown a Boogaloo. <laughs> Well, after Stranger Things and then Enola Holmes and Millie's out there in the press in every terrible way she can't do anything about. And then in every terrible way she can do everything about both. She's had quite mm-hmm. a year. Um, And whatever. God bless her. Go, go, go for it. I don't know what to say at this point. If you're going to be part of that world, she's doing it pretty about as good as you can. But I wish she'd just sort of... <laughs> There's every once in a while you can walk by a microphone without saying something crazy into it. Try that for a couple of weeks and see how it goes. This would be my advice to her, but she doesn't need my advice. She's super talented. She's on top of the world. She's in all this big hit stuff. The monster verse maybe doesn't count, but Enola Holmes two certainly does. And Enola Holmes two is great. This is another, another mystery that only she can solve. And the mystery, it's pretty good. And the action is fun and the, the all the clever dialogue and all the breaking the fourth wall that you saw in the first one are all back in spades. And uh, some familiar faces may show up along the way. We always like that. Um, there's not, nothing not to like. I It's not as fun as Enola Holmes, the original, of course, because it's hard. You can't go back in time and make her... Uh, that naive sheltered kid that she was now she's out in the mm-hmm. world. And so, you know, it's, so it's, so she's going to get a little more obnoxious with each of these, probably. <laughs> but that's, I think that's built into the formula. I don't, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how you could not. And that's always been the case with Sherlock too. You know, um, we love him, but we do want to punch him in the face sometimes. And I mean, and that is, right. that's, that is sort of built into the, the Holmes gene pool. Uh, I won't say much about the mystery. I feel like that's figure that out on your own. I don't think we right. need to read a synopsis. Um, yeah, I, you, I you sort of gave the... the synopsis already. Is she solved her first case in the first movie? Well, now she's not a kid anymore, and she's she's out there. So great, off we go. She's out there, yeah. And and uh, but it's it's there's there's some real mood to it. The mystery itself is is dare I say it's fairly clever. Again, it's very, very complicated. That's how it gets away with not revealing itself in a two-hour and ten-minute, like, basically light comedy adventure film. Um, but then, it, it, like the other film, it sort of, as far as the mystery is concerned, it sort of goes there. There really is danger. There are bad guys. They are trying to kill you. And they've killed others up until this point. Um, right. I found the tragedy hidden in the mystery in this story actually pretty moving, which was again surprising and shocking to me in a good way. Um, but what you really show up for is all the all the crazy dialogue, all Holmes looking at right into the camera and explaining it to you, or even when she gets it wrong, realizing she gets it wrong. Like that's the fun mm-hmm. of this. And that's super fun this time around. So more Enola Holmes, please, I say. Yep, I agree. Um, all right, next up is um, not an or Well, I mean, it's not an origin story. It's just sort of the continuation of the Predator 
sort of taking Predator and, you know, Predators have been around a long time. Yeah. What happened, you know, when what would happen when they would come to Earth uh, maybe during, uh, you know, in pre pre uh, uh, European settlement over into uh, uh, into the new land. Um, what if we did Predator versus Comanche Nation? Well, this isn't an old this isn't an old idea either. Um, right. Predator 2 in 1990 did two pretty amazing things at the end of it. And Predator 2, while there's no Schwarzenegger in it, and that was the nail in its coffin before they even started shooting it, Predator 2 is a hyper-violent urban warfare drug and media. It's a gross film, but it's genius in a, a lot of ways. It's as good a Predator sequel as you could have expected to get because the storytellers did something different with that story and what you what audiences wanted and what they still want is to do the same thing over and over and over again mm -hmm. but better and that's an impossible task and that that's what these people want no schwarzenegger no predator uh but predator 2 i really do think it's brilliant i mean i really think it's really really good it's an, almost as good and better in many ways than the first one because the that dark robocop sort of social commentary is really thick in it and while that may make you feel really really icky i think it stands as hey just a really really good violent supernatural action movie on its own and and a comment on that sort of storytelling at the time, and it works on both levels. It's great. At the end, spoiler alert for for uh, Predator Two. At the end of this incredible foot chase <laughs> through Los Angeles, that ends that film um, somewhere deep in some little cave under some abandoned parking lot on the outskirts of L.A. Danny Glover's uh, alpha cop character finds himself inside the Predator ship. And he finds himself yeah. inside their trophy room, which very famously has an alien head hanging on it. Mm -hmm. Ooh, Predator versus Alien. I want to see that. That's where all let that came from. Let me correct you. You do not want to see that. You no. Just think no, no. Yeah, no. Please not don't much, snip this much part out where we... that, as we've seen. Yep. Um, as we've seen by the people who brought you Resident Evil 2. Hey! <laughs> uh... But the other thing he does is, is the Predators, because he gets into this fight with the Predator he's fighting in there, and when he's done, he, he's the conqueror. These other Predators come out of their shadows, come out of their little uh, cloaking devices, and Pierre Tillman, he stands there, and he's like, well, I guess, I'm, I guess that's the end of me. And mm -hmm. But they don't. They respect that he's won this right of single combat and as a gift they toss him this pistol and the pistol says the date of i'm getting there joel it says mm -hmm. the date of prey on it yeah ah. i want to say um and that pistol is actually featured in predator which is in which is a neat callback that doesn't stop the whole movie to do you mean prey 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 excuse me prey yeah. right prey Sorry, that's a movie we're about yep. to talk about. That was the movie from yep. last year. That movie is the best Predator movie ever made, period. It's number one Predator movie. It's 
way better than Predator. It's way better than I don't got time to bleed. It's better than all that dumb crap because it doesn't have any dumb crap in it. It literally just has this unstoppable Predator against these primitive warriors and they have to battle it with their wits or they're doomed. And and it pays off in every scene. It's violent and awful like a Predator movie. Um, the The incursion of these French and English and Dutch trappers into this, um, into this native American world is, is really an ugly and awful thing. Um, so there's a lot of cool things going on, but basically you're out in nature. It's a nature survival movie where the mm-hmm. thing that's hunting you is science fictionally unstoppable. And all you have is like a bow and arrow and a knife and your brain and the heroine in prey is amazing and her family, you give a crap about. You can't say this about any of the other Predator movies where it's all just mercenaries and badasses flexing their muscles and quipping one-liners at you. Even at the bet, their best, that's what a Predator film is. This film has none of that. It's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's really, really good. I'm. I, everybody's been saying that. I'm not the. I'm the last one to the party probably here in February saying it, but. It's not, oh, if you like Predator, you really need to see this one. It's if you if this premise appeals to you at all, this right. is the one to see. This is the one to see. Uh we wouldn't have it without Jim Thomas and John Thomas's Predator. So I mean I'm with all respect to that film, which is a load of fun. And like I say, Predator 2, which is almost as good and better in some ways. And even Predators, which was really good. It just didn't it kind of stick the landing the way you would have liked, but was pretty great. Action film. The only movie that sucks in the whole franchise is something called The Predator that Shane Black wrote that's just a big hunk of gunk. Just a big hunk of wisecracking garbage. And Shane Black's a writer I normally admire, at least somewhat. He had no business making a Predator movie if his heart wasn't in it, and that was the result. Um, This is... This is going to be tough to do again. How are you going to do it? Do it again? Yeah. Do it someplace else? But in the ancient times, it's, it's just do it in the Roman Empire? I mean, I don't know. That's I, exactly what I was going to say. Predator against the Roman Empire uh, or or Predator versus Genghis Khan or, you know, I'm trying to think of <laughs> great military. You're going to have a tough right, time yeah. replicating the girl in this story, you know, the yeah. the God bless her, the Mary Sue of her age. But the movie earns how awesome she is, and it earns how totally out of her element she is. And mm-hmm. when, you know, spoiler alert for Prey, but you can probably see it coming. When she conquers that thing, I mean, you, wherever you are, whatever time of night it is, you know, hopefully not if you're driving, but in all other places, you leap out of your chair and exclaim. And I mean, a film that can do that to you in this old, stale franchise... Yeah. Hats off! I mean, absolutely well done, everyone. Uh, I want let's give a shout out to Amber Midthunder, yeah, uh, who plays. I I love her, and and, and again, uh, she was in Legion. That's where I know her from. She was um, great in Legion. Loved loved her in Legion, and so I she was I'm good just... in la- one of last year's Liam Neeson movies, which was bad, but she was good in it. Let's see which one was that. Ice Road. Um, oh yeah, Ice Road. Yep. 
Amber's great. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, you know, hopefully this, you know, hopefully, let's see what she's got. She's got uh, Centurion, the Dancing Stallion, and she's in um, Avatar. Uh, oh, a, a TV series of Avatar: The Last Airbender. So that's probably she does. A, she looks like she does a, a decent amount of voice work. Looks like she does a decent amount of voice work. Too. Legion is so anyway, genius, and and she's so, she's so good and brave. Yeah, because um, not a and not ever a sense of not a hundred percent commitment to the given circumstances of an absolutely crazy story. That mm-hmm. is a good performance in this kind of movie. That's something I have yet to see Idris Elba do. By the way, oh hey, that's right. Um, uh, let's let's move on on a movie that I think <laughs> we both can agree on should just never have existed. Huh? And that's Jurassic World Dominion. Well, you got to make it a trilogy at this point, right? Yeah, you guess you kind of have to. But How much boy, time do I have here? All right, let's see. I just want to kind of gauge. because mm-hmm. No, I mean, we're, we're great on time, actually, yeah. on this show, uh, for, for our show. Um, Compare, comparatively, yes. Comparatively, yeah. Um, which is good, because this was sort of a loaded category. Although, what are you going to say about, you know, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City? That hasn't um, already been said. Right. The, well, you know, there's not a lot of It's the same for Jurassic like Worlds. Jurassic Worlds are bad, y'all, man. Any of you who defended Jurassic World, don't come defending it to me. You were wrong. You're wrong. You're, you're wrong. You're just These wrong. films have literally, ta- they've gone in the dead of night to Michael Crichton's final resting place. They've dug him out of the dirt and they've shat all over his spirit and the meaning of his life's work. They are the opposite of what he was trying to say in that first movie where everything good in Jurassic Park that's good is Crichton. Everything that you think is stupid, the little girl on the computer thing and all the dumb crap that's in it, there's a lot of dumb crap in it. Uh Uh-huh. Is uh-huh. David Kep the screenwriter? David Kep is terrible. And then when Kep was let off the hook to write whatever he wanted for the second half of the terrible sequel, which I would have said was the worst sequel ever, I said that for some years. The Lost World Jurassic Park, it's been surpassed. It's surpassed like a half dozen times annually now because there's so many crap sequels out there. And we're in the sequel category after all. And, uh,. I just don't know what you do with these. Jurassic World is mm-hmm. it's 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 so awful, and so bad, and so wrongheaded, and so detestable in its lack of humanity, and yet it pats you on the head for all your worst instincts as a person. Your you want to save the animals, and you want to pet dinosaur, and you want all that crap. It it like that's the part of you that it's playing to, and that part of you. If you're, especially if you're an adult now, okay. If you're a kid, whatever, I'll look the other way. If you're an adult and you still feel that way about your Jurassic Park pillow and you want a raptor on a leash to take on a walk, you're so stupid and you're not paying attention. And I need you desperately to grow up and look around the world around you and grow up. Yeah. Now you have to do it now. I know it sucks. But you just have to do it. It. Michael Crichton explained it all to you in the best way he could. In every novel he wrote, they're all the same story, basically. You know, something different happens. There's some different technology that's twisted, but it's all the same. If it's robots, if it's dinosaurs, whatever the hell it is, you 
wake up to this. He's trying to get you to wake up and you just, you're looking right past the meaning of the thing and dozing away and staying a child forever. And I just beg you to stop doing that, please. Jurassic right. Park 3 was hopeless. That couldn't have been good. It was as good as it could have been under the circumstances. Um, at least that recaptured something of the spirit of the first film. Jurassic World is objectively terrible. And I don't know that it's so terribly made, but it's bad. Everybody in it is bad. Everything that happens in it is bad. It If you like it and it appeals to you, part of you is bad. you got to flush that part out, <laughs> find it, and get rid of it. So if there's nothing good about it. And then we're just left then to debate it, yeah. the badness or the not badness of it. And that's no place to be. Um, the yep. studio sort of tricked... Uh, the filmmaker of that into hiring an actual filmmaker for the sequel. And he made a bad dinosaur haunted house movie. What a stupid idea. It just shows you Jay Biona's only made genius movies. And yet you put him in this franchise adrift and he just as sucks as bad as anybody worse even than some, which is a shocker to me when I see it. How could you made such a turd? I don't understand. Um, uh, here's what uh, here's what I could say about the the this and and frankly this whole franchise. Yeah. Uh there's a there's a there's an animated Netflix series called uh Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Mm-hmm. And it takes place simultaneously with uh or like right around the same time as the the first Jurassic World film. And it's about and it's an animated film about these teenagers who are invited to uh it's like a it's like a uh, an offshoot of Jurassic World aimed at teenagers called Camp Cretaceous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, everything goes wrong and everything that goes wrong with the island in, in the lost world affects them over here. And so these kids are stranded on the island with all these dinosaurs. There is more legitimate, like I feel like the t- how they um, create tension and danger for these kids is more real in um in this this animated series than anything that is in any of these movies uh the the yeah so but more um, to the point let's skip i mean i'm i've i brought us right up to here we are jurassic world dominion but let's just skip to the end of jurassic world dominion let's just skip to the end because why bother with all of this if the place you're going to end in is we're just going to have to get along with the dinosaurs, folks. It's yep. humanity and dinosaurs side by side. No, it isn't. If there were dinosaurs here, we would shoot them to extinction. That little genetically engineered girl, if somebody could go back in time in that second film and just shoot her in the head, I'll volunteer, kill her, dead, immediately, because she starts all this nonsense. Do it. You're only talking about saving people. You cannot mm-hmm. bring... And even in a fantasy world, you cannot bring a giant, unstoppable, uh, apex predators into the world. What is the movie says that three? It has resulted in three hundred deaths. It says at the beginning. That's how intellectually, like dishonest, the film is playing with you. If those were in our world, three hundred thousand deaths minimum. Not 300. These things would be killing everything they came across at all times. They would never, ever stop hunting you. It would be a smorgasbord 
it would be an old country buffet. Right. And if you're so cold-blooded uh, that you want to see that movie, and a lot of people did, believe it or not, a lot mm-hmm. of people did. Um, this doesn't even give you that. <laughs> it gives you one scene of that, which Joel really, which we're not going to repeat for you here, but Joel really described it really, really well when we talked when he gave his little capsule review after viewing it. Um, just the cynicism in it, the stupidity of it, the lack of storytelling integrity, utter lack of integrity, zero integrity. Mm-hmm. Who's the guy who wrote and directed this crap? Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevorrow. You have no integrity, sir. I call nope. you out. Anytime you would like to duel me, I call you out for being absolutely one of the worst filmmakers of your day who have brought us absolutely counterintuitive, wrong-headed stuff, worse than the Transformers movies, not because they're worse made but because they absolutely ignore reality at the expense of button pushing plushy selling big franchise building crap and whatever load of money that you got for making these and the sad thing is is i believe you made them as well as you're capable i nevertheless have to call you out for your utter lack of integrity in dealing with this subject matter um, Michael Crichton was a great artist, truly. I mean, love him or hate him, it doesn't really matter. He made his mark. He wrote a kind of story. He had a point of view. It was vital and important, and it made for cracking adventure story after cracking adventure story that still made insisted that you learn something and face some harsh realities. You have embraced fantasy at the expense of any reality. And anyone who had anything to do with this, Spielberg, Amblin, Bryce Dallas Howard, all of you can just, you suck. You need to get the scourge of these Jurassic World films out of your system. I hate them so much, I just don't even know where to start attacking them from a substantive standpoint. I hate what they represent. I hate what they take the place of in in our film discourse like i hate the footprint they leave behind that doesn't allow for better things to have been there in their place yeah i completely hate them and i i hate the the i mean it seems like a lot for a dumb dinosaur movie like to feel but i'm just telling you the part of you that these films appeal to is a terrible part of you and i that's the part that makes me the saddest is just keep lining up to see them again Mm -hmm. and it's it's you know, a couple of weeks I had a little Transformers rant, which was fun because it's fun to hate the Transformers movies because they're just sucking, they're stupid. These films are, they're different. There's something different about them. It isn't funny when somebody is eaten alive by something else. Right. You, you should be affected by that. And if you've never have right. been in one of these films, then it's films not doing its job. It's not doing the right thing. At least mm-hmm. when that happens in the first film, you feel something that this move away from making you feel anything so that you can watch this violent, awful shit in your safe space is it's just brutal and it's killing the soul of storytelling. And it has to be stopped or at minimum, it has to be called out whenever it can. Uh, Critics didn't know what to do with this. They knew it was going to be a big hit. They all hated it. 
but they all kind of took it on its own terms and they just sort of talked about, well, this is dumb and that's weird and this doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, it's bigger than that. This appeals to the child in you that is clinging to absolute falsehood. Every, every some morning you got to wake up and the tooth fairy is not real. If that yeah. hasn't happened for you yet, it has to happen now. I really believe yeah. that. And if you're kids, you got uh, Camp Cretaceous. Joel, Joel, it's I give that an cautiously endorsed that. So that's good. Over it, any this of this is, crap, this lost world sort of storytelling, it, right? It, it's rife got a kid, for meaning and adventure. You just have to. If you got a kid, you just like have to mine give a minimal who, yeah. amount of crap about the meaning part. If you got a kid like mine who loves dinosaurs and is big into dinosaurs, and 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 actually, you know, he's he's a you know a, a boy who you know is weirdly attract you know like how how we all are or we, uh, you know boy or girl whatever weirdly attracted to sort of the the thrill and the scariness and 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 everything uh, and and frankly kind of some of the violence that comes with uh with animals like that uh we all I, like that watch, watch i mean Cam honestly if you do it right we all like that i'm not yeah. really criticizing that see camp cretaceous watch watch that instead um and uh it's it's way better um, and I don't think my, if you can think opinion. you can mount a defense of these crap because they're not even well-made movies they're just crap yeah. I, I just I don't think that you can. This movie's selling point, I sort of tossed right over it, was this new obnoxious crew of jackasses are going to be reunited with the old obnoxious crew of jackasses. Mm, and we're gonna have mm -hmm. all those people in the same room together. And and just on a base level of does the marketing sell what the thing is, this film completely fails to pay off. The last act of it is a downright mm -hmm. boring. You're sick of it before you even get to that point. That's not good movie making. Period. Yeah. And I don't know. And and it's it it should be called out in a harsher way. You know, it's not politics and it's not the world. It's the opposite of it. But it's still it's still a movie. Mm -hmm. Have some pride mm -hmm. and think about what you're putting up on screen. I just I, I'm offended that they would make something so patently false and that we'd all just fall for it. That that offends my sensibilities. I, that's what makes me upset when I'm reviewing movies. It's it's hard to upset me. You just heard me defend Amsterdam or whatever, which everybody hated. <laughs> I want right. to like movies. I really do, and I yeah. try to like whatever I can find to like in them. I try and like in them. When when people come on the show or people out there in the world who who want to not like movies, I don't. I don't get into them very much. So, right. you know, when I rant and rail against somebody, it's it's for I it's crazy. It's Jurassic World Dominion. It shouldn't matter, but it did. It riled me up. But Jurassic World more than any of them. But this one, in not as bad a way. This one, they each of them sort of learned from the mistakes of the first one. But the that they never learned from the biggest mistakes of all. And so you're left right. with a film that they that pulls its punches a little credit. bit. Yeah. In just how guess cool gotta, it is, but it's yep. still it's it's stupidity is still on its sleeve. It's yeah. willful ignorance, and our world is full of willful ignorance that we have to shed. I just believe in my heart. We that's the yeah. worst thing about us right now as people, just our willingness yeah. to not face anything. Mm -hmm. it, it's not good, and when it's a big part of the storytelling, I've ripped on this superhero or that superhero movie, but none of those. Not one of them is anywhere as bad at that as these.
Correct. You can't I, live peacefully I, with the dinosaurs. I wholeheartedly agree. That's a whole, okay. Um, that's the whole point. You can't. People cannot live peacefully with dinosaurs. Period. So mm-hmm. it's the lesson is don't f around with it in the first place. The lesson's not let's find a way to. It's just like mm-hmm. so. The message is so watered down and 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 opposite. It just drives me insane. Right. Um. So we have two more movies to talk about, and uh, calling these legacy sequels. Uh, they are the very definition two, of a legacy sequel. Yep. Yep. Uh, first one is uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yay! Ghostbusters Afterlife was <laughs> awesome, right? I mean, am I right? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh man, it's great. Yeah. Uh, when a read single the mom, when a, yeah, when a single mom and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover that their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. They're the, the grandfather grand, in this case. They're the grandkids yeah. of Egon. Yep. And the film is very much, he's died recently. And of course, Harold Ramis has died recently. And he the got film, Spengler, yep. Yeah, the film gets something out of that in a pretty clever way. Uh, it's great. It's not, a, It's and it's great, again, because it's different. It's totally different than what we've seen before. The threat is similar. And the, a lot of the physical comedy is similar. But even that stuff's the worst part about this movie. The best part about this movie is that small town mood. You know, the that story, mm-hmm. that kid goes to a small town and and learns about himself by learning about his past. That's a story is as old as the hills. Right. Um That's that's quality hero cycle, right? There. Yeah, the, exactly. The kids are fun. The humor's fun. The energy's good. Um, Mom and her new boy, the teacher, Paul Rudd, that's not so good. But it's not so bad. So, you know, you don't hear me say many nice things about Paul Rudd. Um, He's he's good enough in this. He's particularly good before things go crazy. And then and then he's then he's what you'd expect. He's he's funny enough, but not that funny. What again? Don't don't write to me about Paul Rudd. You can't. There's nothing good really about him. Um, mm-hmm. So just Idris Elba, let's have a discussion. I think it's worth it. Paul Rudd sucks, you guys. He's just lazy oh, shitty. I, I, uh, I love Paul Rudd. I'm, I'm a Paul Rudd. I, lazy. He's not quite I lazy stand- as Seth Rogen, but it's in the same category of lazy. He's a distant second, and there's a big drop-off after him. And he's lazy. He's lazy in this, too. It's so obvious about everything. So, like, not willing to be a character. Just be a slacker dirt ball and that's all he's ever been and i can't stand him mm. in movies okay well may, he, he's a pretty nice guy okay. in real life he's, he seems like a very nice man in real life uh i i will so maybe that'll be uh for someday when i do my solo show well what's the really good paul rudd show. movie that leaps to well, mind to your head right away uh, uh, well, t- to me, uh, there's, and it's just because it's been on the forefront of my mind for other reasons, but what hot American summer, I love him in, um, I love you, man. Uh, he's very funny in, um, I love he you, actually, I've never seen uh, I love you, man. What hot American summer mm-hmm. though is hard to argue with, but that's because that movie's completely on functioning on the that's Paul a, Rudd level. That's, kind of yeah, thing. that's, um, yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's but he's good in that. I'll give you that. Paul and that's Rudd. a good movie. That's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the, I mean, obviously we're, we're staying in movies out there. There's lots of TV appearances that I like him in, but, um, uh, the, um, 
Um, and I'm not saying he's um, got to like do some serious movie. That's not his game. No, that's not uh, his game. Look, so I'm, you know, no. yeah. So I don't, I'm not. And in terms of, yeah, in ter- it, it, you know, we're talking about acting and, and where does he, you know, where does he step up from an actor's uh, point of view? Um, I just can't know, think of anywhere. In, in, and it's frustrating to me. Because he's, what he's is beloved, a, it, and he's beloved by not doing a lot of stuff mm-hmm. of any kind of any value. Sure. Now you know, like in a crappy movie like Role Models, yeah, uh, he is. You know, you know, he. I he's, don't think he's phoning it in there. He's 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 a, intolerable a, in Role Models, but it's kind of unfair because Role Models is intolerable. Ro- Role Models is intolerable, but he's a broken dude in that, and you know, and he, I, I. I this is 40. I liked it. I liked him. And this is 40. Uh, Brian Fantana is a very fun character, but that's again, that's a, you know, uh, in uh, Anchorman in the Anchorman series. Um, so, you know, okay. I'll go. I'll, he I'll rises go. to I, the level know. of some superior comedians that he's in, in the Anchorman series. I'll give you that. So there, so this guy's not worthless. The Ant-Man movies are fun. I mean, I'm not, I don't tell I'm not saying yeah, like yeah. Paul Rudd makes me not want to watch a movie. I like this movie. I even liked him in it. But I still think, man, somebody else would have done something here, anything that wasn't just shouting out what's happening on, on the inverse shot of the film. Mm-hmm. That you know, that kind of thing is all he's really good for, and it's frustrating to me. Maybe mm-hmm. he's—that's all he's capable of. Maybe these and these list of movies you're numbing, they are all dumb comedies, the types of which I don't like. So. If he's right. really good at those, that's nothing wrong with that. People do love those and need mm-hmm. need to fucking laugh, you know. I mean, I get that. That's fair. Yeah, and he and uh, I, I was he makes me laugh. He he very consistently makes me laugh. He's, um, but let's move let's move on to a, one of the biggest movies. I didn't uh, really review this movie. I know you're trying to get done in time, but oh yeah, no, I mean, go, well, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I mean, it, well, yeah, I guess. Let, well, let's quick talk about it. We, uh, I mean, talk about it in terms. He's in of, a lot uh, of the advertising, but and thankfully, yeah. he's barely in the movie. The movie's about the kids, which is great. That's yeah. why. It, that's yeah, why little, it's great because the kids. You know, Finn, yeah, Finn. The kids are looking and, uh, at crazy things that are happening, and they're buying into it. Whereas Paul Rudd's looking at it and making a joke about it. Whether even if he, even if his line isn't a joke, he's not interacting with it in any way again that has any integrity um they do which is great although the the adults go insane so the kids are left on their own is a fun conceit that works pretty great in the film the cameos of the old gold ghostbuster crew are pretty annoying but they again it's handled in a way that i think people will like you know um it, and the threat the, is fun. It's a big effects ghosty threat, just like right out of the original ones, that mm-hmm. that just works really really well. And I so I liked it. I I I like Ghostbusters Afterlife, and it is not the kind of movie I would like. It even has Paul Rudd in it, like slumming, and it's still good. He is uh, better. He is better kids. at the at the teacher that everybody likes the most, that knows they all like him the most. Like that, he actually pretty good at playing that king of the tiny town because he's the only one with like half a brain there, and he knows it. Let's sort of uh, like let's give a shout life. out to the kids. Uh, the kids are uh, Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, and Logan Kim. Yeah, they're um, all good. You know, Finn and, and who's McKenna, mom in it? So, uh, Carrie Coon. Yeah, Carrie. So you yeah. know, Carrie Coon. That's she's pretty great. 
I have to say. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to the biggest movie of uh, to, to me, maybe the biggest movie of last year, biggest movie that has been talked about for years and years and years because it's been done for a long time. And then a pandemic hit um, and then it comes out and it's still uh, it still sort of meets the hype of uh, of of what people were uh, what people were waiting for. And that is. Top Gun Maverick. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife had to uh, try and overcome a, the the Ghostbusters film that Paul Feig made. That's just, a, mm-hmm. just pretty. We've talked about that. I guess not totally worthless. There's things in that that I like, but mostly, mostly it leans into all this is bullshit and let's just laugh at it and laugh at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's almost a perfect example of what the what the afterlife does right is that the kids believe in this crap, and mm-hmm. that matters, and you feel that when it's happening, and so you get into it. The original Ghostbusters is a laugh a minute, no doubt, but it those characters believe and completely interact in a believable way with what they're dealing with, and the threat yeah. of the thing is kind of dark and awful when you really think about it, and that's good. It's smart. My favorite scene is when you watch that Ecto drive across the Brooklyn Bridge, right? And they're having a, a philosophical discussion about what the end of the world really is and right. whether or not we deserve it. That's interesting stuff. And there's not a there's not a joke in that scene, and it's great. And a good writer knows you got to have some of that in your story um, with people turning into, de- you know, gargoyles and stuff. I mean, to mate. <laughs> right. You know, it's outlandish, but... It, the threat is real. So, so they had to overcome a film with that had no threat and had just really no basic respect for even the idea of a afterlife or any thematic value that had. It's just a movie where people get splattered with slime for two hours and ten minutes, and <laughs> and that's all mm-hmm. it was really. And that's too bad. This is more than that. Top Gun Maverick, on the other hand, has nothing to. It has nothing to answer for that that's bad necessarily. I'm not a big fan of Top Gun. Never have been. Mm-hmm. That was not 1986. I'm still not. But it proves a really good building block for a legacy sequel because um, you can't go back and have it be 1986 again. Um, and you'd be foolish to try and they don't. It's all about coping with the things that happen in that first film, and that's that's so great. And and even its references are all plot related. When he actually has to f- actually fly an F fifteen at the end because of all sort of some complicated reasons, mm-hmm. that they work. They're earned by the script, and the the satisfaction we get in seeing that happen and seeing it win the day is all built out of the building blocks of drama. You have to have that stuff. And this film has it at every step. That uh, Miles Teller, obviously Tom Cruise is back as yeah. Maverick. As Maverick. He's got a couple really annoying, but these go away quickly, but thank God. But he's got a couple really annoying scenes where they are asking him questions and you know interview scenes, we'll call them, they're terrible. But other than that, 
And they're terrible in a great way because one, eventually we get one where something bad has happened and it, it, it's the same kind of scene and it's good. And, and I think Krasinski mm-hmm. knows what he's doing. I think he's as much as he's reverential to Top Gun, he's burying the ghost of it with each passing scene of the film. And that's extremely right. satisfying to watch. And it's extremely satisfying just on a base emotional level. The fact that Maverick's got to uh, teach and command um, Goose's kid and and that there's all this tension between them over the accident that happened that took his best friend on. Spoiler for Top Gun, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, it... it yeah. It's that sort of thing is 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 fantastic. There's a couple of things I don't like. It doesn't bring it brings Val Kilmer uh, along for the ride, which I don't love, but I don't mind. I I think that character has I don't know. We don't have the benefit. I think Maverick is very much still desperately trying to be who he's always been. That's what he's best at. Right. I think the wisdom that coming from Iceman is like where'd that come from? Why, right. why is he the old grizzled shaman on the hill that we have to climb to ask the three questions to? I don't know how. Just because right. that's, you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. that should be, if the film was playing honest with us, that should be Kelly McGillis' character, in my opinion. Um, right. You know, because she's the, because she, she would know. Uh, right. In a way that he didn't really ever seem to, to be fair, to Iceman. Right. He looks great playing beach volleyball. We all know that. Jennifer Connelly's and, and, pretty good in it too, although even that that gets a little cloying. The bar scene where he keeps losing the bar bets—that's I'm like, Jesus, come on! This was this is mm-hmm. funny once. It's not funny four times in a row for twenty. Yeah, minutes. You gotta that that needed to be trimmed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get mm-hmm. that's cute, but come on. Um, but really, it's this crew of people. They they do a really good job of introducing these kids who are doing this stuff the new crew and they they have to work and you have to know who they are, where they're coming from. And you have to, they have to be uh, as abrasive and annoying to you as a bunch of hotshot pilots would be to be believable. And they also have to be likable enough that you care what happens to them. Bam, right. bam, bam. You got it. And then, and, and they have to, and they have to, they have to, you have to believe that they're, that, that they're more, that these are legitimately the best of the best that exists right now, you know, of, yeah. of, of in terms of being a pilot. Um, and, and they do, they, they are, you know, they deliver. It's just what they're being asked to, to do, to push themselves is next to impossible. And, you know, that's, that's one of the stories the of Maverick premise of the whole thing. I mean, that no one pushes, no one pushes <clears throat> themselves harder than, than, than Maverick. And that's the, that's, that's the story. The, the big thing that Top Gun has to do, more than anything else though is it's got to put you in the cockpit and make you feel like you're flying around and it does right. that better than any movie that's ever come before right that's that's really really awesome their commitment to using real planes and to have real actors sitting up in the sky while this stuff is going down is is the whole thing. I don't know. How to, right. I, I've talked about the other dramatic elements, but that's the whole thing. That is so good. That makes such a marked difference because there's nothing of this that you couldn't accomplish with green screen. 
in a right. safer, quicker, cheaper, everything way. And they put these people up in planes instead, and it just makes all the damn difference. It makes all the difference in the world. The commitment to that by the studio, by the actors, by the writer-director, it, it, it just is amazing. And so when we go on this mission, I think the 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 obstacles and the sort of goals of the mission seem very MacGuffin-y to me, which I don't like because I think little, yeah. I think you could have had the same kind of mission with that didn't feel so I don't know what the term would be, but didn't feel so like almost manufacturedly impossible. And against a place that we're not at war with. Like it's got all the same problems as Top Gun in that way. But you know, Top Gun had all those same problems too. Why are we fighting right. MIGs and for what? What's exactly going on in the world? Like it doesn't really mm-hmm. ever it tells us, but it never really makes sense. And it's the point is it's a basic training movie. And basic training movies, almost all of them, have to end where you're duking it out in the real world and you're putting that training to use. I always think basic training movies should end when basic training ends. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I think Stripes would be better if it did. I think Full Metal Jacket would be better if it did. I think there's – you go back through the list of them – Police, police academy, pretty good. Where they go get sent to defend the riot, but that's yeah. a pretty good payoff. I'll give you that one. But the other ones, GI Jane. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Basic training movies that end in the real world suck. This movie's great because again, it doesn't have that conceit. It's not a basic training movie. He's not come in to whip a new generation. They have a mission right now. It has to be done by this date. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It has all this urgency and like awesomeness to it. I just think that the, you know, now the playing field is even. Like, no, militarily, the playing field is not even, folks, with anybody, not in the air. It's the, mm-hmm. the natural elements and the shielding of this installation they're trying to build up that's exciting. And you don't have to make such a big deal out of the other stuff when that alone is like really, really tough. Right. How do you bomb something? You got to bomb three times, man. By the time you bomb it the third time, they know you're there, and whatever little primitive guns they have, they can take you out. That's mm-hmm. enough. I I just thought it was a lot of hand wringing over a plot that was kind of dumb. Sure, but um, that's my only criticism of it, and I didn't even like Top Gun. I didn't even like Top Gun, and the rest of it, yeah. A plus, was awesome. You know, I, yeah, it was. Uh... It was a, a, a just a, I mean it was so much fun. Um, I got a, I got a free you know a full disclosure. Uh, um, you know when my my wife says, "Hey, we should go and get a um, a larger, nicer TV," uh, and and I I'm not going to disagree with her. And so we did. And then that night we watched uh, watched this movie you know in 4k and it just looked stunning it's shot i mean 70 something percent of it shot with imax cameras yeah to amazing effect um it is one of those films when you watch it on video or streaming that the aspect ratio keeps changing on you but Mm -hmm. the scope and the the detail and the the focus that you get from those big cameras man it's Mm -hmm. it's it makes the action stuff just super super cool great um, all right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the movie show with Joel and Ryan. We got one more. We got, and, and you may be listening to this one last. Maybe. Uh, we have the, uh, and hopefully uh, if you, uh, if you are listening to this last and you've already heard our, our Oscar show, um, this has been an epic 
uh, takedown of hundreds of movies. Um, and and nine episodes of year and yeah, and and this is uh, you know, and it's not the last time you're going to hear about some of these. We'll talk more in depth about some of the big tentpole films Mm -hmm. and stuff like that for sure. Um, yeah, and we and you know we have we have uh, fun things on the horizon. You know, we got another Hitchcock show coming up. We got another. uh, uh, We have some some career retrospectives of some actors that uh, we have coming down the pike. We have more sci-fi um goodness um com- coming down uh so we have a uh, lots of fun planned but um this uh was a really uh fun varied uh trip through uh the last year is a pretty to me a good way to start this year was uh to, yeah. to, was to look we're, back at work it does it feel like yep. it we're a quarter of the way through our season here now <laughs> thanks for getting this far with us wow uh all right um so uh, thank you. You can reach out to us on the Facebook page, uh, Movie Show with Joel and Ryan on Facebook. Uh, ask, uh, no, yeah, see, what is it? At, uh, at Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. No, ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. I don't even know my own, don't even know my own email, our own email anymore. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, hope you enjoyed the visuals and uh, hope you liked watching me sneeze over and over um, for for a while there. Uh, luckily, yeah, and all my button. throat clearing. Sorry about that. Yep. Audio um, we are going to. So, yeah, we're going to get healthy and then we're going to do another one of these. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, and we will see you next time on the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Bye now. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.